Welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast series where we discuss the technological and cultural impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on our individual lives and on society as a whole. Please subscribe uh, to our podcast. It is available on all good podcast channels, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and also visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where uh, in that site, we have some very interesting materials directly connected to the topics that we discuss in each episode. There's even some nice giveaways in there as well that you may want to check out. So today we're at episode six. And how are you feeling? I mean, how are you feeling? How do you feel now during this pandemic? I'm quite lucky. I just returned from a vacation. I feel pretty good pretty relaxed and pretty recharged. But prior to that, I think it's fair to say that all of us had taken some sort of impact, some sort of hit to our mental well-being. Some of us don't know it, but it's there. And, And studies show that there has been a separate pandemic, and that has been the effect to mental health. In fact, it's doubled the amount of instances of mental health issues. And that's what we're going to discuss today and how technology is performing a crucial role, crucial role rather, as a coping mechanism or enabling some of the coping mechanisms that even the World Health Organization suggests uh, in order to uh, alleviate any mental health conditions or stress that you have. So I'd like to welcome today's guest to the great indoors. And uh, her name is Dr. Victoria No. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. It's it's great to have you. It's great to be here. I, Vicky, I can call you Vicky, right? Yes, of course. Because I, you know, when I was first looking at this, I saw Doctor No, and that's of course a, a James Bond villain from the nineteen sixties. And <laughs> I'm British originally, so I tend to yeah. talk about things like this. So, uh, just for everybody um, uh, to understand, Doctor Victoria No. Uh, Vicky is an associate professor at the City University of New York Graduate School for Public Health and Health Policy and director of the CUNY Center for Innovation in Mental Health. Vicky is also a licensed clinical psychologist and adjunct scientist at the RAND Corporation. She specializes in mental health implementation science, quality improvement, and global mental health. She has extensive expertise in developing, evaluating, and building capacity for mental health integration for a variety of health platforms in the United States and abroad. So, wow, I mean, that's um, that's quite um, uh, some credentials um, there, Vicky. And look, it's great to have you on because, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast has been to talk about all the things, all the factors that have occurred during the pandemic, how technology has helped. And of course, I think one of the biggest unfortunate realities of this crisis, along with obviously the the COVID-19 itself, is the burden on mental health that has happened because of the pandemic. And I know you've done a lot of research and this is your profession. So just give us an overview. You know, the pandemic has, has, you know, impacted everything globally. We, We talked about education last week, the social implications. But what kind of mental issues have emerged over the last Five months now, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, it's been about five months now. Um, well, this is an unprecedented time, and it's you know it's not surprising that this pandemic 
has an impact on our emotional health, right? We're seeing a rise in mental health problems like anxiety, depression, PTSD. In many ways, we are confronted with um, a collective trauma we're all going through together. So, you know, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing that in terms of the numbers as well. Um, as you might know, you know, we've done a survey study in New York City since the beginning of the pandemic in early March. And we've been surveying New Yorkers, um, a thousand New Yorkers each week consecutively for 12 weeks now, and we're going to move to doing it monthly. Um, but we found alarming rates of anxiety and depression risk, about 35 to 45 percent experience anxiety and depression symptoms nearly half of the time, which you know, usually is indicative of um, people having clinical levels of depression and anxiety. Um, in another survey that I'm part of where we're surveying 2,000 students in the CUNY system, and the CUNY system is the largest public university system in the United States, half of all students in New York City are CUNY students. And so 2,000 that were surveyed are also reporting very similar in the citywide study. So these results are pretty consistent. Um, and you know, for those of you who don't know, 35 to 45% represents more than twice the rate that we normally have. So usually community rates range anywhere from five to 20%. Um, and so now we're seeing 35 to 45%. There's been other studies and other um, that conducted from other institutions that are slightly higher, but generally we're getting these rates that range from 35 to 50%, which is huge. I looked at this a little bit. Now, obviously there's several factors that contribute to this almost doubling in, in what you would normally see. Is it because people are suffering anxiety because of the fear to their health because of the, the pandemic? Or are they feeling the anxiety and, and, and the stress through the fact that they're locked indoors and, and they're not having those social interactions anymore? Has your research shined on any light on, on, on the, potent, you know, the direct causes of those numbers? Yeah, we actually were uh, looked at some of the risk factors and, you know, of course, the the perceived risk is a factor. Um, people who are, you know, in closer contact with those who may be more likely to be at risk, for example, if you're an essential worker, you know, you're out there, you're having to take the subway, um, go out and work the grocery stores and deliver and be in contact with people. So that raises the risk level for yourself, but also for your family. And oftentimes, People's concern about their family is probably what impacts them more than even themselves. That we're, that's what we're seeing when we ask about, you know, what you're worried about. They're worried about impacting and affecting the people around them that they love. Um, and then, of course, it's also, you know, having someone who's sick at home and having to take care of them and wanting to be careful, you know, especially if you have someone who's vulnerable, um, that is very stressful for folks. Then you've got, you know, the you know, onslaught of job loss across a lot of cities in the United States and the world. And I think that is another huge stressor for a lot of people because that can result in being evicted. That can result in you not being able to take care of your children. You know, that can result in a wide variety of, you know, catastrophic impacts. And so it makes sense that, that um, that's going to be a really big factor. And we're also seeing things like food insecurity and homelessness risk. So, you know, in our survey in New York City, we're seeing rates around 40, you know, 40%, 35% um, risk for having food issues, like not being able to get food or not having enough money for food. And of course, all of this is related to job loss and economic insecurity. 
um, we're seeing rates ranging from 30 to 40 percent um, of people uh, reporting that they have lost their job or someone in their family has lost their job. And so, you know, this combination of the economic factors with the social factors and the health factors has really converged in a very uh, detrimental way for our health, our mental health. Yeah, I did a little bit of research, as I always do, and did some looking around. And I, I stumbled across the World Health Organization website. And there's some good stuff on there on, you know, coping with stress during, you know, this whole pandemic. They've got some nice infographics. But I downloaded one of the infographics. Maybe we'll put this on our website. And it says coping with stress during the COVID-19 outbreak. And, and what caught my eye straight away is that first graphic is a mobile phone, right? And it, it says, talking to people you trust in your family, please contact your friends and family. You know, that's their first piece of advice is is connecting, you know, and, and, and that's, that's obviously we, we talk about how technology alleviates, you know, some of these things. But do you see that as an in, uh, as, as a factor in your research and in, in alleviating um, some of that? Yeah, I think social connection is really important. You know, anytime you have um, a collective trauma, a collective uh, horrific event, the way people cope with that is they connect with one another. Um, but in many ways, what we're confronted with now is a, uh, a time when connecting is not so safe or connecting in the way that people are usually are used to connecting in terms of physically being together is not uh, possible and actually increases your risk. So you've got, you know, this public health intervention, basically the social distancing that require, you know, that interferes with the mental health needs, right? And so we've got to find other ways of connecting so that people can maintain a lower risk um, or lower exposure to risk. And so um, I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to connect over the phone, to get on Zoom. And we're seeing that everything is on Zoom these days from graduations to proms to, you know, dating. Everybody is on Zoom. Birthday parties are on Zoom. Um, so we're getting really creative with technology and we're learning how to still, you know, mimic some of the things that we get from physical in-person interactions. And I think it was, and, and I, what we did when we we did the one from it was um, the last the last episode. We we looked at education, mm -hmm. and we had three little students on that I know very well. But they talked about you know how they were coping with doing their distance learning, their home learning. They used Zoom, they used Microsoft Teams, they used all these tools. But then it, it got me thinking that they're the lucky ones, right? They're the ones that have the internet connection, the hardware to be able to do this. And that's a huge factor in, you know, keeping education going. Are you seeing discrepancies for, for lower, maybe lower income groups that don't have the luxury of the technology and the equipment? Yeah, we're definitely seeing this because, you know, just like with what we're seeing with COVID, right? People who have lower income, oftentimes black and brown communities are also, you're seeing a hit in terms of infection rates, in terms of death, right? That also translates to them having higher risk for job loss, food insecurity, housing insecurity. With all of that, you're going to have less access to health care, to mental health services, as well as to you know, resources for technology, for education. Um, and so you know, what we're seeing now is this, this convergence of 
several pandemics happening at the same time. You've got COVID-19 as one pandemic, then we've got mental health as another pandemic, and the third pandemic is social inequality that translates into all kinds of other issues, as well as racism, institutionalized racism. And so we've got all of these things happening at the same time, and I think that is creating this escalation of uh, mental health problems that we're all seeing. And, and I'm, I'm looking at your research now, and I'm looking at coping strategies, right? Mm-hmm. And I see that 21%, is that 21% of respondents have said that their most effective coping strategy is media, entertainment, and the internet? Yeah, well, we don't know if it's effective. This is just what they're saying they're doing to cope. Oh, I see, right. Um, so, you know, most people are saying that they're engaging... are engaging in some sort of healthy behavior like walking, taking walks, exercising, yoga, meditation, those sorts of things. And then about a third, 27%, are saying that they're reaching out to people, they're calling on the phone, they're on Zoom. That's how, that's what's supporting them. Uh, Right, that's the 27, that's the 27.1% social support. Ah, got it. Okay, great. 21% are saying that, you know, they're relying on social media, they're watching TV, they're using YouTube, you know, they're they're basically getting connected, you know, either through social interactions, and usually that's like the social media component, or they're just engaging in media and entertainment to, you know, let out the steam, basically. So then 40, it's it's, it's safe to say 48%, 48.1% of your respondents see those two factors as them, their, you know, as big coping strategies for them. And they're reliant entirely on technology right on having the internet connection on having the smartphones on having the applications that's quite Mm -hmm. that that is quite amazing i think yeah absolutely it makes sense right i mean if you think about it all of us are um, pivoting that direction you know everybody's having a lot of people are having to work remotely now and so um so much of our interactions are are getting switched to a virtual format and yeah that means, you know, we have to be more reliant on technology. And you're a doctor and you have patients, right? And you have to mm-hmm. interact with... I have patients that are part of studies that I'm part of, that I've met. Okay. And you've had to... Because we did a survey last week out in the US and we see a, a, a huge um, spike in people using telemedicine, mm-hmm. right? Using uh, the ability to use technology to consult with their with their doctors. So have you utilized this technology in your studies and with the people you're interacting with on this? No, not yet. Um, I work in Vietnam. My, my more active project right now is in Vietnam. And so they have actually been able to manage COVID quite well because they shut down completely in the early months. And their you know numbers are lower than 100 at this point. They're starting to see a spike, but it's like less than 10 people. <laughs> and that's their spike. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, our trainings are with um, community health workers and nurses, and we're teaching them how to identify depression and how to provide behavioral support for depression and anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. But that is going to more likely be in person because of the same issues that you raised earlier. They, you know, most of the people we work with are the poorest of the poor. They're farmers. They're, you know, people who live in villages. They don't have a computer. The providers don't have computers. Um, if anything, they have a, you know, they might have a phone, but we have not been able to move to that technology yet because it's not feasible. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, here's, here's something. So we talk about 
that there's four areas of of mental health, social isolation, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness, right? That's the way you've categorized. Mm -hmm. And has anything come out that surprised you in, in, in this whole thing as far as, and I'll give you the example, and this may be a silly example, but I went on vacation last week. I went way up north in Canada. It was the first time I'd left, like, the tap, been two kilometers outside of my house since March, right? So I found it very liberating. I found it a really, it was probably the greatest vacation I've ever had in my life. Uh, uh, but I tell you, and, and, and I, you may have heard this before because I've heard other people talk about this, but prior to that vacation since March, I was having the craziest dreams imaginable, right? And I know I spoke to some people at work and they were like, yeah, I'm having crazy dreams. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, even some of my family members, yeah, we're having crazy dreams. And I don't know what it was. And then I did the vacation. I've come back and I don't have any more of these dreams right now. Is this, is this, um, this uh, you can bill me for these services uh, uh, afterwards, Vicky. But is this something you've seen? Is this, is this another manifestation? I'm going to pay for my uh, vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it makes sense, right? We're all very anxious. And when we're anxious, we've got a lot on our minds. When you have a lot on your mind and you go to sleep, um, it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. And, you know, dreams are basically your neurons getting activated and whatever is on your mind is going to get connected to each other. And so it makes sense that you're going to be much more active in your, you know, in your sleep, which is supposed to be the time you rest, right? And so, you know, I think it means that we're carrying our stress into our sleep and we're probably not getting very restful sleep. And there's been a lot of talk about that, about how at this time, you know, these worries are making it very difficult for people to sleep. And when they are sleeping, they're not getting restful sleep. Yes. But that, you know, you talked about is something that I think we all need to find ways to create for ourselves, whether it be an actual physical vacation where you go somewhere else or finding a way to create that within your home, you know, a space where you're getting disconnected from the things that are stressful for you. And that's one of the reasons why it's also very important to disconnect from technology, actually, because, you know, the more attached you are, you're always, especially with the social media, there's just so much information out there and so much news, and you can really get caught up in the day-to-day -day reactions to, you know, all the different traumatic events that are happening around the world. And so I think it, you know, there, there is a lot of value in finding ways to contain that, creating some boundaries around that. And I think vacation is one way to do it. I talked about that infographic from the World Health Organization, but they actually, yeah, they suggest limit worry and agitation by lessening the time you and your family spend watching or listening to media coverage. And I think that was, yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. So it's less media less media, more family interaction, right? That was the clear takeaway from that. Yes. Let's talk about the effect on children in particular. Mm -hmm. Has your research and study shown how the mental health of children have, have potentially suffered here? Because we did, um, the last one, like I said, we did on education, you know, for children not to be with their friends, to not be able to do the things that they love to do. What have you seen in your studies about how, how this whole thing has manifested itself on, on, on children? Yeah, we, I haven't studied it directly, but, um, you know, just from knowing what I know about the field, um, 
it makes sense. You know, children are heavily influenced by the adults in their life. And so if the adults are stressed out, the children are going to be stressed out. Um, they're also used to routine. Routine and structure are really important to children, which is much harder to maintain now when parents are having to work at home and, and juggle working from home and also parenting and educating their children at the same time. And so sometimes it's like touch and go, you know, just figure out whatever they, whatever way you need to to keep them occupied so that you can go back to your computer and get on your Zoom call. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that that certainly would have an impact on children. The other thing is, you know, like you said, they don't have access to their friends and their playtime as much. And so finding ways to create that you know, in your backyard, at the park, um, in ways that are safe, I think are important to do. But I think when people are overwhelmed, it's really hard to manage some of that and to keep that in mind and to make sure that you're creating that space for your children and for yourself to take care of yourself because you're you know, you're getting pulled into all these different directions and you're usually just in survival mode. So it's difficult to, to manage the emotional needs. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen this again, and just in my sort of little bit of research ahead of this, I went uh, onto the World Health Organization and they have a book you can download to read to children to help them through, you know, through their any stress or anxiety they have. And it's an ebook you can download for free. Uh, and it's um, it's really interesting. It's my hero is you. How kids can fight COVID nineteen, and it's a big uh, it's a big dragon. I think I had dreams like that before I went on vacation. Actually, I think that's what this book was based on. But um, but yeah, have you seen that? It looks fascinating. I hadn't noticed it till now. I, I've seen it. I haven't looked at the actual content in it, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, because you are the most the parent is the most important person in a child's life or whoever, whichever adult is, is with them, they're the ones that really set the stage and the tone for, you know, for their life. And so we have to remember that we, we are their heroes. Yeah. Now, look, let's talk about the future. This is the one word we use too often with this whole situation is, of course, unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Right. And, you know, I think on the physical side of the COVID-19 it's it's you know the future looks pretty bleak for for people that potentially have have, have had this seriously mm -hmm. but from a, a mental health perspective what are the future implications what is this something we will be scarred with for for you know or, or what, what do you, how do how do you see it playing out for people is it just something that goes away and then everybody feels better what, what what do you think? You know, I think it really depends on our response, right? I, I think in many ways, this pandemic has revealed things about our society that we were not as aware of before. Um, you know, in public health, we've been talking about social inequalities. We've been talking about access to health care and mental health care and, um, and how that is uh, variable for different communities and how economic um, strain impacts people. And, you know, that that's something that I don't think was so present for everybody. And now this pandemic has sort of peeled off that top layer and people are seeing it. They're seeing the widening of disparity in a very real and raw way. And so I think, you know, one thing that can happen is it raises social consciousness and people recognize the importance of this, of, of taking care of all needs, all different types of needs and the intersection of social inequality and uh, health and mental health. I think that's a really important lesson here. Two is, you know, one of the things that we're seeing 
in the United States in particular is this lack of coordination in the response and this this tension between civil liberties, personal freedom, and collective action, collective good, and collective welfare, right? And I think that what we're seeing now is that countries that are able to coordinate their response effort, they're able to manage the pandemic. Countries that are not able to do that, we're, you know, we see different surges that are rising in different places. And so that's another thing that I think, I hope that this raises awareness around is that, you know, it's really important that we recognize the importance of collective action and the collective welfare and how that impacts everybody. These boundaries between people um, are in many ways false boundaries. You know, we are all connected. And the more that we can be, you know, the more that we can coordinate and the more that we can recognize when it's important to sacrifice your own personal liberties so that your whole society and your whole community can survive, um, that will, you know, do well for us in our future. And I, you know, I hope that we as a society can use that to coordinate responses in the future because this will not be the last pandemic that we face. And then thirdly, you know, with that is if we are able to learn from these lessons, um, I think there are convers other conversations that have come from this that are very important. Like for example, public health and mental health. Public health, it was something that people didn't really understand. They heard the word, but they don't really know what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, what is it? What What is public health versus mental health? Uh, so public health is just, you know, the, this a field that, um, that responds to health from a public and collective orientation that we recognize that our health are connected. And to respond to individual health needs, you actually have to coordinate it at a higher level, at a system level, at a policy level that there are social, social structures that are in place or you know structural forces that impact people's health, which is what we're seeing with COVID, right? And so you know we as a field think about health from that context, from that large context, and our yeah. solutions are system, you know, system-wide solution. And mental health is also another topic that I feel has you know gotten more uh, more media coverage in you know recent months as well, and so. It's great because now people are much more aware of the things that they can do to take care of their health and their mental health. Um, more and more people are beginning to recognize, you know, little behaviors that they can engage in for self-care, you know, just like things like maintaining structure, creating, you know, this boundary between um, the, the forces that are stressful for you and, you know, um, doing things that are, you know, helpful in terms of creating pleasure in your life or, creating a, a space to feel calm and, and uh, relaxed, right? And so people are beginning to incorporate more and more of that and they're recognizing the mind-body connection. So I think that those are all good things that are coming from this pandemic. And lastly, I, you know, there's a concept called post-traumatic growth, you know, and so that speaks to resiliency. It speaks to growing from something and, you know, learning from this and, and recognizing that you know, you can overcome and that, you know, and because you overcome, you've learned skills that can help you overcome other challenges in your future. And so, you know, I think that that those are learning opportunities for us. And there are ways for us to um, promote that with our children, with our communities. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot that can be gained from this experience as horrific as it is. Um, it has raised a lot of important issues, and I hope that it you know, has created uh, an opportunity for people to come together to do something for the collective good. Well, I think, you know, I, and it's a common theme 
right? In in all the topics we've discussed in this podcast series, when, whether we looked at diversity or whether we looked at education and now we're looking at mental health, it's really shined a light on these issues, right? It's really put them under the microscope. And mm-hmm. some of the things we take for granted, we won't take for granted again. And some of the things that have helped alleviate the societal the health, the public health, the mental health issues, we can learn from and, 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 and put into place for future. And, and, and coming at this from, from, the, from the technology angle, and you talk about, you know, this also shines a huge light on income equality, on the disparities in, in society. Do you think that one of the positives that will come out of this whole thing, whenever it's over, will be policy from respective governments around the world that, and, and I'll talk about this from a technology perspective, that address those gaps in technology to allow those less privileged groups to have, in whichever form, access to the, the technology that will enable them to either A, overcome another pandemic, B, lead better, healthier, happier lives. Do you, do you think that's something that can that can come into place? Yeah, I think, I mean, that would be great, right? If, if we could make that part of our policies to make, you know, access to technology, just like access to education, access to healthcare, more available. Um, if technology is the the means to education and healthcare, then people need to have that in order to have the healthcare and the education, right? So I think that makes a lot of sense, and hopefully, you know, that will happen. I don't know where we will find the resources for that, <laughs> but I think that's a very important um, piece of that. Well, that's great. Now, listen, so. We're going to put your survey on our uh, on our website so people can take a look at it. What advice, because we're coming to the end of, of the podcast now, but what advice would you give to the community at large? What would you say to people to help each other right now? You know, things are loosening up a little bit. They are here in Canada. We're, I know they are there down in New York, right? It feels like we're over the worst, but it, it could all come back as quickly as it arrived of course what advice would you give to anybody in the community now just to look out for others or what would be the one key advice you would give i think the most important thing is to stay connected you know find ways to connect in creative ways with your family your friends your colleagues and in many ways what we're needing to do now is return to the basics right you're turning to basic things like you know being with your family you know engaging in hobbies finding ways to introduce small pleasures into your life, little moments of hope, little moments of control, little moments of peace. Um, and, you know, doing that without having to engage in like big grand gestures or big activities, like go on vacation or have a party. How do you have a party in a, a different kind of way? You know, how do you celebrate in a different kind of way? So I think like all of that is, um, is what we need to do in order to overcome you know, what we have ahead of us. Awesome. Great. Well, look, Vicky, it's been a pleasure having you on the Great Indoors today. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Thank you so and much for having I hope, me. I hope you're going to have a nice weekend. Thank you. There's a heat wave there in New York, right? Yeah, it seems like there's been a heat wave. Um, but I look forward to that vacation <laughs> that I'm going to take with yeah exactly exactly this it helps it helps i'm telling you no more no more crazy dreams and uh but honestly it did it was it was amazing just you know being locked you know being stuck indoors for for five months and then just going 
somewhere outdoors for a week and I'm real outdoors. Yeah. I think the next podcast series will be The Great Outdoors and I'm just going to record it from that vacation cottage. I think uh, I think that'll be good. I don't know if my employers will let me, but we we shall see. We can always try. We can always try. So thank you very much. Thanks again, Victoria and um Look, all everything we just discussed, we will upload uh, to our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. Please subscribe to our podcast moving forward. We're available on SoundCloud, Apple, Google, Spotify, all the good podcast channels. And look, we look forward to speaking to you very soon. Thank you very much, Vicky. Thank you. Have a great weekend.